Hey everybody, just wanted to take a few seconds of your time before the podcast starts. Just wanted to let you know about a passion project of mine for the last three years called Hustle Focused Energy. It's a powdered drink mix intended to help you focus and accomplish your goals. Super excited to bring this to market. Go check it out, hustletheday.com. And thank you so much for listening. On this episode of the Hustle the Day podcast, I have Andrew Lees. Andrew has his hands in many different things. He has his own product-based company, his own service-based company, and he helps other people with their companies. It is just a great interview with lots of experiences to back it up. You're going to want to listen to this one as usual, so let's jump into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. My name is Trent. Super excited and honored to have Andrew Lees here with me today. Andrew is, uh, you know, works with Clint McPherson, who was, as of recording this, was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. But Andrew stands on his own, so I want him to jump in here and tell us a little bit, a bit more about yourself, Andrew. Awesome. Thank you so much, Trent. You know, it's awesome to be on the show today. I uh, love what you're all about with the hustle. Um, every day as an entrepreneur is a hustle. So, uh, you know, it's a great, it's a great mission. And yeah, I'm on a podcast, my own, that entrepreneur life with Clint McPherson. Um, but we each kind of do our own thing uh, outside of that. He does marketing consulting. I do product development consulting and launch strategy. So I have a um, a business called Stoke Ventures. And with that, I do development and, and launch strategy. Um, and I also have a, a business called Grass Racks, where we make bamboo display racks for boards, bikes, kayaks. Um, they mount on your wall, or we got a couple of freestanding options. And uh, so that that was kind of my entrance into e-commerce and you know selling products online. And and then I also help other people get their their products out there. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, we talked before we started recording, it's like, this is just basically going to be, you know, how did I mess up in my product launch being that, uh, you know, we're recording this a couple days before I launch, you know, yeah. the first ever product for Hustle Energy. And so, yeah, yeah congrats, uh, man. thank you. But I, w- I want to talk to you, you know, jump into that product development side, because uh, it's really unique and different from what I've done. You know, I've usually dealt with, you know, service-based businesses before uh, rather than the product-based. So it's mm-hmm. really interesting to me. What what would you say is kind of the biggest difference in strategy on a service-based versus a product-based business? Yeah, so, uh, and having, I also have both, you know, both company, both businesses, a service right. Based on you know with the development and then the product base and they've they've each got their advantages and their disadvantages and sometimes on a daily basis as I'm as I'm running both of them I'm like you know struggling with like oh man I wish I was I just want to sell products all day and then sometimes I'm like oh actually the consulting thing is not so bad you know so um, I think the biggest difference in strategy is with with consulting you have fewer clients with, you know, who are making, who are giving you each more, they each have a a higher lifetime value typically. You know, if you're, 
if you're consulting in any way with somebody, usually it's, it's usually it's thousands of dollars, you know, at, at least uh, lifetime value per client. And so you can spend a little more energy, you know, nurturing those leads and, and you, you know, so you can sort of dial in, you might, um, you might niche down to a, to an audience of like a thousand people and you might only get 10 clients from that thousand people, but that might be all you need for an entire year. And with a product, if you did that, you found, you know, an audience of a thousand people and only 10 clients and your product costs $20, then, you know, you're going to need to find a lot more, (laughs) a lot more audiences and, and figure out how to connect with them. So I think that's the, that's the biggest challenge is, is figuring out how to, uh, reach your your audience. That's you know challenging any business, but especially with products, is figuring out how to sell enough because you have to sell. You know the you it's always going to be you know uh, you have to sell a lot of quantity, right? And so I deal with that with my my business grass racks. Um, we do have a a nice balance where our products are a little more. Um, little more expensive. We're able per product, we're able to bring in a little more revenue. Our, our average order, um, cost of, of an average order is about $125, um, somewhere around there. So every order is about, you know, we're bringing in about $125 where some products might be bringing in like 10 or 15 or 20. Um, so we don't have to sell quite as much, but we still have to sell a lot more than if I get a client, a consulting client and they're, you know, they're doing twenty thousand dollars worth of business with me. So right. I think that's I think that's a huge difference right there. And just figuring out, you know, strategically figuring out how to get in front of these clients and get your acquisition costs. I think I think it's when it boil when you boil it down, it's the acquisition costs that's the biggest challenge. And we we tried ads with grass racks. Mm-hmm. Um, we were getting our acquisition costs down as low as we really felt like we could. And it still wasn't good enough because with our product, it's a once and done purchase for the most right. part. Somebody's buying a rack, uh, they might buy a couple, and then that's kind of it. They might tell their friends about it, which you know gives us some good word of mouth marketing. Um, but beyond that, they're not coming back month after month or year after year to buy racks for the most part. Um, so... So getting our acquisition costs down low enough to where it makes sense is difficult. And on the consulting side, my acquisition, my cost of acquisition can be much higher. Right. Yeah. So I was, I was curious about that. Uh, if you, if you have a product based business, the cost of acquisition could be really low, mm-hmm. but that adds up over time because you're going after so many people. Exactly. You know, how does that play out versus the higher cost initially, but you know, you don't have to do it as frequently with a service-based business in general. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing you might, you might spend, um, 25 cents a click to get somebody to click on your website and, and check it out. And that might seem nice, you know, like, Oh, that's not, that's not that expensive. You know, I got a hundred dollar product, 25 cents for a click, but that's not a purchase. And you've really got to figure out and it takes some time figure out what your, uh, you know, how many people that are clicking are actually purchasing, what, what's your conversion Mm -hmm. and, and some products just convert at a lower rate. Um, there's things you can do to improve that. 
But if you've got your website set up pretty well, you've got a, a good, you know, good product, um, and there, you, there seems to be some demand for it. You know, and people, it's people are able to to figure out what what you do and why your product is value should you know why it's valuable to them and why it's helpful to them, how it solves their problem. Then you can tweak some things here and there, and you know, p- people are trying to do that all the time. Um, but you might go from like a one percent conversion to like 1.2, you know, Mm. and what you should be looking for is figuring out the ways to get, to get up to like two or 3%. Like how do you double or triple or more your, your conversion rate? Um, and so, so that becomes, you know, big challenges is, uh, actually getting those sales and, uh, and yeah, you know, with, Get, again, back to consulting, I can, you can just spend a whole lot more and, and obviously you've got to nurture, there's takes more time, more energy to nurture those leads. But, um, yeah, with, with a product, you've, you've got to be very careful. And sometimes a paid ad strategy is not, is not the best strategy. Right. And that you, like you said, that 25 cents pay-per-click, I mean, that's only the first click, you know, then you've got retargeting campaigns and, you know, sometimes right. it takes several touches to, before they convert. And so that, it, that can definitely exactly. add up. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You've got to look at your, your total marketing costs. And, uh, I've talked to a lot of, of marketing people who, you know, digital marketing, um, experts <laughs> who were like, Oh, you got a, you know, a two X ROI. And, and that, and that's the other thing too, is you, you have to consider, especially with a physical product, you have to consider not only your, what you're spending to get every customer, that's the marketing part of it, mm-hmm. but what's the cost of, of goods? I mean, for us, our cost of goods for grass racks is around 50%. So a two X ROI is us breaking even. Right. And you, like, it's, it's crazy how many marketing, you know, gurus and experts out there don't get that. You know, it's, that's one thing if you're selling uh, a digital product, if you're Mm -hmm. selling an info product, two X ROI is, is fine. I'll take that, you know? Um, but so you you have to consider, you're right. You've got to consider everything the the initial advertising, the remarketing, how, you know, and some days are going to be great. You might get a five X return. And then the next day you get like a 0.5 X return. So you have to look at it over, you know, you can't look at it day by day. You got to look at it over, over the long term. Yeah, for sure. So you, you know, you've talked about, you've got this unique perspective of the service side and the product side. And we've talked a little bit about grass racks, but tell me a little bit more about Stoke Ventures. Yeah. So with Stoke, um, I, I have a background in mechanical engineering and always wanted to, I got into aerospace engineering a little bit in college, thought I wanted to, um, design spaceships, uh, you know, maybe work for a SpaceX or something like that. <laughs> um, and that while that still would, would be cool, you know, like in theory, I got a job out of college and with a large company, wasn't an aerospace company. They made, made power plans. And I was like, from day one, I'm like, this is definitely not what I definitely don't want to work for a huge company. So then, then I realized, well, if I don't want to work for a large company, I don't want to work for an air. I can't work for an aerospace company. Most of them are are large. Um, and so I sort of like, was like, okay, my, 
my desire to, to do my own thing and pave my own path outweighs my excitement of like designing something that goes into space. So, and the reason that I got into engineering in the first place uh, was because I wanted to design my own products, always had this inventive spirit and I wanted to, I always wanted to launch a product. I mean, really from like when I was a kid, I think I told my mom that I was going to invent something. This is probably when I was like 10 or 12 years old. I'm going to invent something and I'm going to, from the the revenue from that, I was going to pay for college. And that did not happen. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, I was always excited about that kind of thing. And so one, after college, once I realized that that was really a, the, one of the main reasons why I got into engineering in the first place, I got right back to it. So I started working for a company um, outside of Philadelphia that is a product development company. They weren't really focusing on inventors, though. So I took all the, in, the inventor cases, at, you know, projects. And after a while, I, I thought, hey, I want to start my own business. I want to be mobile. I want to be more flexible. So, um, so I, I, I did. I basically spun my company off of theirs. And I said, hey, any inventors, can you just send my way? I'll work on them on, you know, with my company. And that's sort of how I, I got that start, which was cool because they were supportive of it. Yeah. Um, and with so with um, that's how it all got going. I started working with inventors and I've been working with all kinds of inventors all over the country um, since uh, 2014. And I help entrepreneurs get their get their physical products designed, prototyped, engineered and ready for manufacturing. Okay. So what are, you know, some of your challenges in, you know, taking those ideas and converting them into, uh, into physical products? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is every project is, uh, is so different. And there's no, there's no like, do this button in my, you know, in CAD software where it says, you know, just like, you know, develop this, like pop in this complicated feature. And, you know, it's not just like a few clicks and you're done kind of thing. Uh, it really takes, really takes some time and, and a lot of thought, even the simplest projects that I even think, ah, oh, this isn't going to take me that long sometimes end up you know, it, it takes getting into the, once you get into the details, you realize how much there really is to do. Um, and so I think one of the biggest challenges is first of all, setting customer expectations and, ha and, ha you know, helping them to understand that it's a process and that, you know, we don't as hard as, as we try developing products, we don't necessarily get it right on the first try. And there's, there's just unknowns. So, I mean, yeah. you got to think about it like an investment. I'm doing my best, you know, to, to develop as any product developer hopefully would, um, would do their best to get the product engineered to the customer specification and, and beyond. I'm always trying to go a little bit further if I can, but there are some, some things we run into where we have to make compromises and some people are cool with that. And some people don't understand that, that it's, it's especially with a physical product, you, you got to make compromises somewhere. Um, so I, I think, I think that's the biggest challenge and, and just 
you know, you, you kind of, what I was going to say before is that you got to kind of look at it like an investment. So, you know, if you're, if you're spending, let's say, uh, $20,000 on a project, um, you, you want, obviously you want something at the end and we're going to get something at the end for sure. But is it going to be exactly, is it going to have every single feature that you were expecting from the beginning? Maybe not. Maybe it is. Maybe it's going to have better features, but sometimes, you, you know, you've got to make some, some sacrifices and it's, you know, it, it, it is an investment and a risk where, you know, you're doing your best to, to get the best product uh, made, but you just have to, you have to understand that um, it's not a perfect process and, and same thing for manufacturing. So, yeah, I mean, there's times where it's like, yeah, you can accomplish all these things, but you're going to have a $500 unit price versus $200 unit price. If you sacrifice this one yeah. small feature and you know, some people are willing to make that compromise. Some people aren't. And yeah, uh, that, that can make the difference between market success and market failure too, though. Exactly. Yeah. And you've got to, you got to look at, at everything you've, I mean, I actually just talked to a client yesterday who, um, really great, awesome to work with. And I had spent all this time developing the product, the way that I thought, you know, the direction that I thought he wanted to go. And we had a conversation about it uh, a few weeks ago and, you know, had a design review for a while, went over everything. Okay, cool. We're on the right path. I finished, I literally had just right before our meeting yesterday, I had finished up all the detail, all the manufacturing details of this design. And he called and said, Hey, I understand where you're going. I, you know, I like what you did here, but I think we've got to go in a different direction because of X, Y, Z. And, you know, and one of the, his big concerns was we were going to save some cost with the design we were initially going after we were going to save some cost um, some manufacturing cost and shipping cost because we were designing, I was designing it in a way that could be the product could be disassembled and assembled very easily. Mm -hmm. um, so you could ship it in a smaller package. You know, the customer could put it together. It was, you know, it was really nice and easy and manufacturing processes to make the parts were, were relatively economical. And he was like, I, I love that. That's awesome that we've, that we went there. However, he was, um, concerned about the lifetime, um, value of it. And he was looking long-term, like, are there going to be any issues with replacement parts? Is there going to be any chance for parts to break or, you know, so he was looking at like, you know, really down the road, which is great. I mean, you've got to, you know, um, you've got to look at the big picture. And so I, I fully respect and understand that. And now we're going in a different direction, you know, so I just kind of have to be a little adaptable. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a lot of people do see that long-term goal, that long-term vision. Um, or, you know, sometimes they, they say it, see it too far and don't see the steps in between, but, uh, right. it's good to see that, you know, he understood the, the, the value in the seeing that long term. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. but is there, would you say there's a different mindset from those that are entrepreneurs versus the inventors? Um, yeah, I think you could differentiate them by, um, sort of technically, you know, where an inventor is somebody who, 
is sort of like an idea person. You know, they, they've, um, you know, they might have an idea, but they don't necessarily have it figured out to where they could build a business around it. And an entrepreneur sort of by definition is a little bit more, they've got the business side of it figured out a little bit more, you know, so they're, they're trying, they're, they're sort of thinking about the, the whole process of, you know, getting their idea all the way through, you know, to market and actually generating revenue. Whereas an inventor might really be thinking about, um, okay, I've got this idea, I need to patent it and I need to develop it. And I'm not really sure what happens, but like, you know, I've watched Shark Tank a bunch of times and got to know my numbers and I've got to, you know, Lori's going to want me to have a patent and, you know, so, um, but I, I definitely think that you, you can quickly, uh, merge, you know, bridge the gap between inventor and entrepreneur just by the entrepreneur learning some more about the whole process and understanding everything that's involved in starting a business. Yeah. And that's kind of where Stoke Strategies was born out of, right? Where you can help people bridge that gap between the product side and the business side. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So I realized after working with um, a bunch of clients over the years that they, once we got through development, they really, they really didn't know what to do next. And, um, and that wasn't, part of my business model was to, you know, I, I don't do marketing for people, you know, and I don't, I don't necessarily, um, do the heavy lifting of getting that product. Okay. Now you've, you know, you've got it developed now, you know, you've, you've got to get it, um, go through, you know, production run, initial production run and manufacturing. And then once you've got inventory, then what do you do? How do you sell it? What's your, what's your strategy there? So, um, and, and even along the way through development, uh, there were, there, there are a lot of questions and, and my clients have had a lot of questions through the process that I figured, man, there's, there's really an opportunity to better educate people and help guide them along the process. So what I do with Stoke strategies is, um, with some clients, I will, I will do in-depth market research and really figure out where their product fits in the market. Um, and we can do this either during develop, like in parallel with development or before development. And so they have a really good idea of where their product fits, who their target customer is, who their ideal client is, what their ideal or what their target market is. Um, I'll do business modeling. So I'll go through, uh, I'm not going to do a, a business plan, like a traditional business plan, because it's just a a complete waste of time unless you're going to a bank for a loan, you know, Um, or maybe if you're pitching to an investor, maybe, but even then what we do with business modeling uh, is we'll do a lean canvas, which is a a one page, you know, I highly recommend everybody check that out and see what that's all about because you can, you can put all the components of your business from a high level on paper pretty quickly and it's one sheet. So it's everything about your business, you know, who your customer is, what your product is, what your value proposition is, what your costs are, what your, you know, how you're going to generate revenue, all that stuff. Like, and it's very easy to read and it's meant to be like a living um, document where you, you test it 
and then you tweak it and you test and you tweak and you're always refining. Whereas a lot of, a lot of times business plans will, they'll be written. And then if you're not going to an investor, if you're not presenting it to an investor, you throw it in a drawer and it collects dust for forever, you know, nobody ever reads it. So, so I'll do that with the business modeling, um, you know, where we're creating something that's more actionable and then, and then, uh, just as actionable as a strategy, a marketing and development strategy. So development strategy is how are you going to, how are you going to develop this product? And that could be by working with somebody like myself to develop it or another engineer. Um, you know, how many, what's your team going to look like? Are you going to need mechanical engineers, electrical? Um, are you developing an app? You know, who, who should you be working with? And then marketing, how do you actually, um, how do you build an audience? How do you get your product out there and generate awareness and sales for your, for your product? So just, and the other thing is I'll, I'll throw in actual resources in there that I've, you know, like from my network that have helped me over the years. So it's, it's not just a plan, but it's also, Hey, actually email these people, you know, email this company and they can help you with this part of the process. So they actually have somewhere, they don't just know what to do. They know where to go. Right. Yeah. Totally understandable. Um, now, how often do you run across somebody who has a great product, but not necessarily a business? You know, you know, you think of products in some cases may be better off develop it, patent it, and then sell off the product to a company. And that's yeah. kind of your exit strategy rather than build a whole business around it. How often do you come across that? Um, all the time. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people, first of all, there's a lot of people who, uh, come to me and I work with some attorneys too that, you know, they, they'll, um, send some business my way if they're, you know, they have a client who's looking for development or, or they might just want, they might want to license their product and they just need a concept developed, you know, so they can use the, the images that I create in the patent and then they can also present to investors. So it might not be a detailed, design, but it's enough for, for presentation for use in a patent. So there's, there are a lot of people like that who are just, they're not trying to produce it. They just want to, um, develop it, you know, uh, do some concept development on it, get a patent and then sell it. And they understand that, that even if it, you could make a business out of it, that they just don't, they just don't want to, you know, there's another business out there that, is better suited, has better resources to just, to just take it on. And, um, but yeah, there's, there are a lot of products that really are difficult. A lot of people think oh, I can build a multimillion or billion dollar business out of this. And it's like one product and maybe they can. Um, but yeah, a lot of times there's, you know, there's just not enough to make it a business. You know, you're just not gonna, um, you're just not gonna be able to build a big enough audience and keep them around, keep the repeat business coming in, um, you know, which is critical. And so, yeah, I definitely see that all the time. One thing I think that helps uh, turn a product that might not typically be a real, like a, a standalone business 
with e-commerce the way that it is and with all the different platforms you can sell on now, it definitely helps bridge that gap. So if, even if you have a product that's, that's not, doesn't really necessarily warrant having it, its own business, you kind of can today um, because you can reach people online. It's not easy, but um, you, can, you don't have, there isn't a whole lot of infrastructure that you need. So the startup cost can be low enough where it's like, you don't really have to, um, you know, it, it doesn't take this massive investment that would typically be reserved for a business, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so that definitely helps. Like you could just have this one product and it's like a, a widget that does, you know, it could be a kitchen gadget and you're not going to build a whole business around it, but you can sell it on Etsy. You can sell it on eBay, Amazon, your own website, and you can sort of build something around it. Even if it's, you know, even if it gets you an extra 10, $20,000 a year, Hey, that you know, it's great. Yeah. I actually uh, spoke with uh, a lady the other day that she specifically deals with Etsy products and, mm-hmm. you know, the marketing and strategies around that. And so um, there's definitely a niche for everybody, but whether it's going to be a multi-million dollar company that, you know, that's definitely a different conversation than yeah. can I sell this? So, yeah, exactly. It's like a micro business. A lot of opportunity for (laughs) micro-businesses out there. Absolutely. Um, So we kind of talked about how it is you got into this and, you know, how you decided to go out on your own. Um, Mm -hmm. What what would you say was uh, your biggest failure in doing that? And what was something you learned from that? Um, That's a great question. I I think two things... Failure wise, I think the first thing was um, when I first started the consulting business, I didn't take it seriously enough. Um, and I was also part of that. Part of the reason for that was I was also working on grass racks and trying to, um, you know, generate sales for that. So kind of juggling a couple of things, but I wasn't really digging in hard enough. And I was like, okay, the consulting thing will pay my bills, but. I'm not too concerned about really growing a big bit, you know, the business here. Like, but after a couple of years, I realized why not? I mean, I love the business side of it. I love the engineering and development and helping people get their products market, but I really love the, I also love the business part of it. And I thought, well, I really want to grow a company. Why not this? You know, why can't it be, Stoke Ventures and Stoke Strategies. Why can't I actually dig in and 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 try and you know grow this business? So I wish I had done that sooner. Um, I think I'd be a lot further along now if I if I had. But you could say that about you know there's a, there's a lot of things that once you get a few years down the road, you're like, man, if I had done this a couple of years ago, I would be so much different. Um, another example of something like that is, is content creation. Um, I'm really just starting to get into, uh, podcasting and, you know, with Clint, we've, we've only been doing it since about January. Uh, I wish I had done all of this sooner. You know, I wish I'd been talking to awesome people like you, uh, all over the country a lot sooner because it helps just, you know, helps create great conversation and, and, um, about topics like this that people can learn from. And, um, and at the end of the day, content is about 
teaching and helping people. And I wish I had you know done that kind of thing sooner. And I'm just starting to to get into blogging and putting out some you know some written content about the product development process and about um, creating a strategy and, and how you do that. And if you've got an idea, these are the steps you you know you can follow. And I, if I had done started that a couple of years ago, you know, because it really is all about time. You get that you know you need to get started. You need to get Google indexing your content whatever it is. And, and that can easily take six to 12 months to just get something going. So you really, if you're thinking about it, just get started and dig in. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think, you know, a lot of people who are one, two man show, you know, just a couple of people or you're, you know, solopreneur, content creation can be daunting uh just be on top of everything else that you have to do oh yeah uh, it's like this just really doesn't seem like it's moving the needle but the yeah. further you put it off the further behind you are and you know mm-hmm. i've got a good friend who i interviewed on here and he's like i plan my content you know he's he has a team of of uh, virtual assistants but um uh, that can help create the actual content. But he's like, strategy wise, I plan six to 12 months in advance because that's awesome. You know, you've, you've got to be on top of those things or else you're just going to fall behind and you're going to, you know, you're always going to have an excuse of why am I not spending time on the content creation? Because I've got a, a huge to do list of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. You've got it. That's the thing. It's like, it really is an investment one way or the other. Mm-hmm. in your in the future of your business and it's it's the difficult part is uh we're all kind of wired to to have instant gratification um even if it's not that second if i don't see results in a couple days you know um if you're you know if you want to lose a few pounds and you go to the gym nothing happens for a couple months like people freak out and it's like really kind of very similar to that in content creation because it's um, you know, you write a blog. Like I was talking to my friend the other day. I was like, I, you know, I posted my first blog and I spent all this time on it. You know, I'm excited to check out the, the page views. He said, don't. <laughs> He's like, don't check it for like six to eight months. Don't even look at it because it'll frustrate you. Nothing will happen. Don't even, you know, don't pay attention to it. Um, and, and that's the thing. You're really investing that time into, you know, hopefully it clicks and hopefully you get some traction. But um, if you're creating helpful content and Google sees that, um, you're, you're going to do well eventually, you know, um, how well, who knows, but you know, you're going to get something. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the, uh, you know, the great authors of our time, uh, in terms of self-development started with blogs. They just, they, they got their thoughts out and just started putting it out every single day. And eventually people came to them and like this is amazing and it turned into book deals and then all of a sudden they're doing TED talks and all these things and you know uh so it's uh so like one of one author who i really enjoy james clear who uh wrote atomic habits um that's how that's how he really got started it was just daily blogging and eventually you know people started to take notice but i mean we're talking years yeah you know same thing as you may experience with your podcast it's not something that you get instant gratification from it's you know i've everybody i talked to who's been in it longer than me you know said 
you know, don't look at your numbers until six months in. Don't even look until a year in because really, yeah, yeah. you know, your first episodes can still be picked up pretty regularly by somebody who just discovered you. And yeah, and so it's exactly it's, just a, it's a long, long game for sure. It is, yeah. But then once that clicks, um, the, and I, I talk with Clint about this all the time, but like once that clicks, then it's it's just you've got this traffic coming in. You know, people talk about um, residual income, and like that's how you get it. You know, uh, you 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 know you build something, and and we've we've seen it with grass racks. So I know that it works, you know, I've got some proof and that's really important. I think as an entrepreneur is like people can tell you to do this and you're going to get some results and like, it'll happen if you just keep working at it. But it's, and even myself, I, I hear that and I'm like, you know, BS, I don't know. I, I don't know if it works until it happens to me. And with, with content creation, with building an audience, which is, which is, arguably besides creating a good product or a good service, you know, great product or great service that stands out. The other equally as important thing is, is having an audience, you know, putting a, putting a great product or service out there to nobody is going to do nothing. So it's so important to build that audience. And I think content is, is definitely something that is is really important because it does it builds on itself and it maintains a level of consistency like with grass racks we get a certain you know number of clicks a day and i could it's like within a few clicks like i mean i know almost exactly how many clicks every day it's not like one day we'll get it's not like one day we'll get you know x clicks and then it goes down by 50% it just doesn't happen like that. Like we've put in the work to get our products out there, to get backlinks to our, to our website and get reviews written about our products and, you know, post stuff on Instagram, which doesn't help with that, but like Pinterest, you know, we've got, um, you know, we've got Pinterest and, uh, and you know, that, that helps. So we've done all these things that just like the traffic just keeps coming in. Not, so we're, you can do all you you do a bunch of work and then you eventually you just get the clicks and they just keep coming and usually they build on themselves organically too so it, it's just you know you don't have to work at it every day to get those clicks which is an amazing thing right right but you know i think people underestimate the amount of work it takes initially for to sure. get to that point for yeah for sure cuz and the alternative is is ads you know you right. can just pay for ads. And, and that's, that's great. That works, you know, that works for companies. And I would say that that's the short, short term plan. The long term plan really always should be building content that will generate the, you know, the organic leads, because um, especially if you're trying to sell a business, uh, if, if somebody looks at it and says, all right, cool, you've, you know, we can put all this money in, like, if you turn off the ad engine, then it, goes to zero, you know, we're, that's, that's not, that's kind of fragile, you know, like, and, and you're also completely dependent on, on the ad platforms right? and the cost fluctuates and all this stuff. So that's, it's a great way to jumpstart it for sure. You know, definitely test things out with, cause you can, you can get a lot of traffic quickly by paying for it and you can test things out. And that's what it really should be for short-term gain 
maybe get some customers and build some awareness, but you're definitely by far the best long-term strategy is organic. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a little bit about, you know, some of those failures that you had and what you learned from it, but what would you say was a challenge that you never expected to come across in starting grass racks or Stoke ventures or Stoke strategies? Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. There's never expected. I expect so, so much now when I say <laughs> something goes wrong, I'm like, even if I don't expect it, I'm like, well, oh, I expected something would go wrong, you know, right. <laughs> it's like I had a good day yesterday. So today, of course, you know, it's not going to be the same. Um, but let's see. I say that's a pretty good uh, head on your shoulders there compared to a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, it's, it's like, Oh, this went well. So it's going to keep yeah. going well. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, <laughs> Ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and now I'm just like, all right, just got to keep a level head. Just, you know, yeah. Celebrate, celebrate the wins, but don't get, you know, remember to always buckle down and keep, keep hustling. And, um, there's the law of averages, you know, it's, it's gonna, you got the highs, but just got to balance out the lows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean the, the biggest unexpected thing I think, and this is something that I kind of did expect, but I'm always, caught off guard a little bit when it happens is when I uh, have to deal with an unreasonable customer. Um, and that happens on the consulting side and it happens on the product side. On the product side, you can kind of tell people to piss off a little bit more. Now you don't do that obviously, but like, you know, okay, you didn't like your $125 product, just return it, you know, and that's an end of story. But we obviously, we go above and beyond to try and figure out, okay, why did something go wrong? Why don't you like it? How can we help? How can we make it right? Because we genuinely want to make it right. But at the end of the day, there are some people who uh, can't be consoled and they're just, they're just out there, you know, putting negative vibes all over the world. And, you know, and that, and, um, and that happens with consulting too, but it's just trickier because you're, you know, you're like, usually in a bigger project and if things go wrong, it's, it, it just gets, you know, it, it can get a little messy and you've just got to figure out how to, how to get through that and how to manage customer expectations. So, um, I remember my, my old boss, when I worked up in Philadelphia, he said the heart, this is when I first got out of college and was, you know, working for these guys. Um, it was like a year after I graduated college, but so I was still really new and didn't know everything about engineering. I, mean, I still don't, but he was like, my boss was like, engineering is the easy part by far. The hardest part is the customers. And I was like, that can't be true. I feel like engineering is pretty hard. And, uh, and that's just as true, more and more true every year. It's just like, yep, that's, that's it. You know, if you can manage expectations and keep people, help people to understand process and you know and also recognize the red flags of like hey this this person's going to be might not be worth working with this could be a problem so i'm always caught off guard by that stuff yeah no i understand engineering doesn't have emotions so that's Mm -hmm. that's does make it simpler in that regard (laughs) yep yep exactly yeah you can there's logic to it but when you know when you're dealing with somebody who throws logic out the window it's the hardest part of business period i think right 
And uh, you know what? We're humans, you know, sometimes those emotions do take over. So I mean, sure. it's un- understandable in a way, but at some point you've got to step back and look at, you know, maybe the bigger picture. Is this worth getting upset about? And, you know, in your case, is it worth continuing with this client? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, one thing that I typically like to ask, you know, guests there on the podcast what is your definition, your personal definition of the word hustle? Um, so my definition of hustle is being consistent, um, is, and being consistent and not stopping, maybe not stopping more than being consistent. Um, because you're going to have setbacks in business and, you know, your, your things are going to fail for sure. You might even have an entire business fail. Um, but if you're consistent and you know, you, you keep pressing on because you know, you're like, Hey, I'm going to be successful in business and you keep working at it. Then the chances of you being successful go, go way up. You know, there's, there's statistics about, you know, a lot, a lot of businesses fail most businesses fail and, you know, they're underfunded and all this stuff. There's a bunch of reasons why they don't work out. I think the number one reason that they don't work out is because people don't press on. Um, and, and, you know, like they, they still, like I said, they still might have the, you know, you might have five businesses fail before you get that one. That's all you needed for it to, you know, to be sustainable for you to generate the kind of revenue that you need or, it could just go bonkers. So, um, if you're committed to it, you know, day in and day out, and you're going to have bad days. So it's, it's hard to keep, you know, the hustle turns into a grind a lot of days and it feels <laughs> like a grind, you know, but, um, yeah, that, that's, I think what it is, is just keep, keep pressing on. Absolutely. And that's, that's definitely been the case for a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to that, uh, you know what, they just, kept going on and in spite of adversity and they, you know, usually the best rewards come on the other side of those challenges. Exactly. Yep. Totally agree. I don't want to take too much of your time, Andrew, but uh, you know, I want to give you first of all, an opportunity to kind of plug where people can find you. And then I've got one more question for you after that, but uh, I really appreciate you, you know, you giving me the time to be able to talk to you, but where can people find more information about you? Yeah. I, first of all, I appreciate it, Trent. This has been awesome. Um, yeah, I love love talking to you about entrepreneurship and hustling. So this has been been very cool. Um, you can find out about me. I've got a, a three websites <laughs> that you can find more information. So for the product development, my product development business, it's Stoke Ventures. S T O K E V E N T U R E S dot com, and then. Um, and then I have a, a landing page for the Stoke Strategies part of it, and it's Stoke S T O K E Strategies dot com. And then for my product based business, uh, the the bamboo board and, and bike display racks, that's Grass Racks G R A S S R A C K S dot com. Cool. Yeah, I'll make sure to include links uh, to the all those places in the show description notes, so you can just awesome. click on those. But final question I I always ask, personal or business, what is it that excites you about the future? 
Oh man. Um, that's a super interesting question, especially, you know, with, with everything that's going on right now. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, there is, there's always opportunity in, in any, any market, you know, anything, any, no matter where you are in, you know, at any point in history, there's always opportunity, which is, which is really cool, you know? So you should never feel like, ah, I missed out on that opportunity over there. Somebody took, already did that. Or there's always something that you can do. There's always, even in, you know, there's opportunity in, in down economies. Um, so, so that's, what's exciting. There's always, there's always something that you can be working on. There's always products and services that people will need. And, you know, find something that aligns with your, you know, your values and, and what you want to do in life and what you want to help people with. And chances are there's, there's something that you, some value that you can provide, you know, to help people. Perfect. Yeah, I completely agree. There is always opportunity out there, no matter what's going on. There's always an opportunity uh, lying out there waiting for you. Yep, definitely. Well, very cool. I'm glad you see that perspective, even in the midst of what, uh, you know, the world's going through at this point in time. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, we get through stuff and, you know, we figure things out and, um, you know, we just hope that, uh, everybody stays as safe as possible, you know, and, uh, and that's, that's all you can do, but then you just, you know, you press on and you, you know, you, you live life and you create value and you help people on their journey and, and good things will come. Perfect. Yeah. I love that attitude. Well, I know my audience has gotten a ton of value out of this and I know I've gotten a ton of value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle the day.